Hey everybody, this is Achieve Great Things. This is season two, episode five. This is your host, RJ. Today, um, we're going to give you an interview with uh, a client of ours, um, the HuffPost's Hillary Fry. But to give us a little bit of a preview of that conversation and the project that we're going to talk about, I've invited uh, one of my esteemed colleagues, Pete Tontillo, who's a senior associate at Hadaway, to join me for the intro. Hey, Pete. Hi. We're going to hear from Hillary about this this amazing project um, that, that you led and, and that we were able to execute um, at Hadaway. Can you tell people a little bit about the, the backstory and then and then people can hear the rest from Hillary? Sure. Uh, when Hillary at HuffPost uh, approached us, she told us that they were going on uh, this big cross-country bus tour, 25 cities across America, called Listen to America. And she told us that they were planning to videotape interviews with all the people in each place that they came across. And she knew that they were going to do you know, small profiles in each of the cities that they visited, but they also wanted to put something together to show the commonalities among what they heard in each of these places. Mm-hmm. Um, but they weren't exactly sure how they wanted to do that. So that's where we came in. And our team saw a great opportunity to do something new, um, to really dig into this mountain of data that they'd gathered. They ended up collecting more than 300 hours of video interviews uh, with more than 1,700 people in total. That's so cool. really just a, a massive amount of data, a massive amount of voices. And they really just wanted to find out what people were talking about. Um, so that wasn't just you know, the words that people were saying, but really trying to go deeper uh, beyond those more surface level things and find out what people were really saying about things that matter to them. Um, So that's what we did. You know, we looked into big issues like jobs in the economy, uh, like education, like race relations, housing affordability, topics like that, just big, big picture. Really just trying to get a sense of what people had to say about each of these things and trying to package all that um, in a way that makes it easy for HuffPost audiences and everyone else who's interested in the topic to explore it, dig into it, and really just give people a sense of the diversity of voices and the diversity of ideas that HuffPost was hearing out there. And I think what we found, as as Hillary goes on to talk about in this episode, is that when you step outside the, the political conversation in the country, um, just ask people big, broad questions about how their lives are going, and then just just sit back and listen. Uh, they really take it to this very personal place and, and feel very open and comfortable talking about their hopes for their kids, their hopes for their communities, you know, very honest conversations about how their communities have changed in the last few decades. Um, and when you hear that, you also see a lot of similarity in how similar those those hopes and concerns really are from place to place uh, and see a lot of the common threads connecting the way Americans all over the country are are thinking about these big issues. Yeah, thanks, Pete. Thanks for that summary. And you know, as as you said, Hillary talks a little bit about some of the common themes that that they heard and what what she learned. Um, what was your biggest um, takeaway as a communications professional from from a project like this? I mean, a huge amount of information, huge amount of work. But um, I don't know what what's your uh, what, what's your takeaway? Yeah, sure. I think from a from a communications perspective, the big thing that stood out to me is just the language that that people were using you know my background and my formal training is in linguistics so that's usually where my eye is when i'm looking through this kind of thing and and you know when people are talking about these big issues which are also reflected in the political conversation uh they're not using the same language they're not speaking the same language that you hear in the news and that you hear from politicians they're really talking about it in a down-to-earth very personal simple emotional kind of way 
And I think it, it, it provides a lot of insights for people who are trying to communicate um, in a more real way about a lot of this stuff. Cool. Well, thanks for joining us. And um, I hope everyone enjoys this this conversation with Hillary and Pete. Hopefully, we'll be hearing more from you soon. Before we wrap up, I just want to tell people they can uh, send us email, feedback, let us know what you think of the show, podcast at Hadaway.com or tweet at us at Hadaway.com or, or find us on Facebook. Send us thoughts, feedback, questions, um, whatever's on your mind. So um, with that, we'll jump into the uh, interview with Hillary. So I'm here with Hillary Fry from HuffPost. Hi, Hillary. Hi. Um, we're here in New York City. I was able to grab a couple minutes of Hillary's time today to talk about um, the Listen to America work and um, get into a little bit more depth from, from your perspective. So we appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for talking to me. Yeah. I guess, first of all, why was it important for you and, and for HuffPost to, quote, listen to America? What was the kind of genesis of that idea? Sure. So um, at the beginning of 2017, uh, when Lydia Polgreen came from the New York Times and took over HuffPost, I joined um, with her just, just after she started to help her sort of get settled and organized in this new environment. And one thing that had already come up here was taking on a big project uh, in 2017 that would be a kind of brand-defining mission for HuffPost, but would also, you know, we were right after the presidential election at this point, everybody was talking about, you know, we didn't hear the voices of Americans. And so we started talking about what that would look like. and. I had previously worked um, on a bus tour in at, a, at an earlier job. Um, it took on a sort of different life and wasn't executed quite the way I had envisioned. So, but I had had this concept of sort of getting out in the field um, to listen to people, very open-ended way, not in a polling way, um, and also do that in partnership with local media and sort of leverage people on the ground with great knowledge to help us um, authentically get to people and um, and hear their stories. So, you know, I think what sort of collided was my own tremendous personal interest in hearing people's personal stories mm -hmm. um, and not having that filtered through a poll or a questionnaire or very specifically political questions, but really just giving people an opportunity to talk with a moment where we had neglected to do that um, as, mm -hmm. as the media in general. And fortunately, we just we had an opportunity here with some um, investment to to take on a big project, and it just kind of came together out of a pretty pure impulse to get out in the world and listen to people. Awesome! And you talked to thousands of people in dozens of cities. We talked to uh, seventeen over seventeen hundred people in twenty five different cities over seven weeks in the fall of twenty seventeen. So a lot of organizations, as you said, a lot of people were saying, like, we didn't, we don't listen well enough, we didn't. And a couple organizations, including one that was on this podcast before, were criticized for going on, like, an anthropological journey of let's go see what these Americans are like from our East Coast, um, you know, hideaways. So what, what was important to you about avoiding that, or, or how did you approach that when you were kind of putting this together? I think there were two main things. One was very early on, we established relationships with local media in each place that we went. So we partnered with public radio, we, public, we partnered with TV stations, we partnered with newspapers that had um, the knowledge of the place to help us really select where to go. And that was to where to physically take the bus mm -hmm. so that we would 
interact with as broad uh, con- uh, a population in each location as possible. In some cities, that was impossible. Mm-hmm. In a city like Des Moines, where if we took the bus downtown, we would have really um, encountered the professional upper class mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. Des Moines. And we consciously made a decision to go see um, what our partners there, we partnered with a nonprofit in Des Moines called Urban Dreams, and they called it, you know, the other Des Moines, um, which was largely the the black community, um, which is minority in that city, but super, super important to capture those voices and those experiences. And what we found actually was um, we we were... Um, in the we were in the part of town just across from urban dreams but we drew from all over the city mm-hmm. so because of um getting the word out through facebook through iowa watch was our partner they were based in ames but um different ways that we were able to get the word out that we were there we still attracted a broad array of people from who live in des moines mm-hmm. but we, I, I think it would have been very different if we hadn't started at that base. So that was, um, the partnerships were critical to give us authenticity, to give us their support, their, um, just, you know, their imprimatur of, of um, it's okay. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. go talk to these people. We're working with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing was we made it really clear, and people kind of couldn't believe it when they came to talk to us, that it was completely driven by the interviewee. So our prompt, and we did a lot of training in advance about active listening with my team that was out on the road. They were journalists, but mostly young journalists in this newsroom who didn't necessarily have any field reporting experience at all, um, to really just say, what's on your mind today? Tell me why you love your city. Tell me why what you don't like about your mm-hmm. city. And you don't have to, once people felt comfortable and they knew we weren't steering them mm-hmm. someplace, they just opened up. And they overall, I think, um, you know, we, there were people who told us that, you know, they said, no matter what happens to this interview, thank you for listening Mm -hmm. to me. I feel heard, you know, and um, that was, that was really, that was really the goal. Um, And I, I believed always that doing it that way would get at the issues in these places, um, even if it was a pretty, it was kind of a roundabout way, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. an indirect way. But that way we got some of the personal experience combined with the issues and the policy and, and all of that at the same time. And so you mentioned that you'd worked on a bus tour before. I was just, as we were thinking about this, talking about dozens of cities and getting these all together, was it was it more of an undertaking than you thought it would be logistically? and? All that, or, or did it go pretty smoothly? It was smoothly because we engaged an agency um, named Peak 15, um, also in Washington, mm-hmm. that um, was just, their background is in um, advance for political campaigns. Mm-hmm. And I knew always that was the way we would go. You know, you, you can talk to all kinds of activation agencies and things, but what we wanted, we didn't want a bus that had cool touch screens and like mm-hmm. interactivity. We wanted something that felt really basic, familiar, comfortable, and we put the effort into um, the advance work. Mm-hmm. And so we visited every place, I should say the agency went to every location in advance over the course of the summer. Once we locked in the route, which was a combination of um, personal preference, places where we felt that we didn't see datelines from very mm-hmm. often, 
a mix of mid-size and very small cities like Livingston, Montana. Um, that combined with just basic logistical confines. We knew we had to do it in X frame of time for budget reasons and because of the weather. Um, it, we didn't do a lot of fiddling with the route. So once that got locked, it was really just up to us working with the agency on finding the physical location for the bus and then in each location. And this was the thing that was a much bigger undertaking. Um, I knew it would be hard, mm -hmm. but it was harder than I thought was we did events in almost every city mm -hmm. where we did a panel discussion that was dictated by the interests of the local news partner, um, usually moderated by them. We really just helped produce it, but we did all the legwork on the booking. In fact, like I did most of it with another, I had support from one other person <laughs> wow. here. And that was just a tremendous challenge. But on the other hand, it helped me as the sort of um, person, you know, executive producer or whatever I was of this project, know firsthand from our partners what people cared about mm -hmm. like so when we went into Birmingham I had already had dozens of conversations with like you know people in local government and other places you know that are part of the town nonprofits to know what we were going mm -hmm. into so I think that also goes back to the idea of like we didn't fly into these places and send reporters on the ground to go say you know we have an idea of what's going on here mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. sort of report the story that way we really went in with some understanding based on local knowledge that we had gleaned from our partners and other people on the ground there of, you know, kind of like what might be on the minds of some people, but um, with an incredibly open mind mm -hmm. to hear more. Awesome. And so substantively, we were able at Hadaway to work with you all on the research synthesis. And um, it's amazing that talk to so many thousands of people um, and we'll link to obviously the report and, and other stuff that people can can dig into but touched on everything from you know healthcare to immigration to the economy to all kinds of other topics um, I guess without going too far into depth on you know specific findings what what were a couple of things that stuck out to you as most surprising in terms of the takeaways sure um, I think you know it was so specific by place. And it's not that I, I wasn't surprised by that. I knew when we went to St. Louis, we would be talking about um, police conflict and issues uh, with the black community. And we partnered there with the St. Louis American, which is um, the historic black newspaper in St. Louis. Like, that's what we wanted to mm -hmm. talk about. Mm -hmm. and we expected to. But um, you, I, I would say one of the most surprising things actually was what people didn't talk about. Hmm. So it wasn't people coming down either pro or against Trump. They didn't mm -hmm. come down to express political views to HuffPost. They came down because they wanted, maybe they saw us on Facebook or they saw it in their local paper or on TV and thought, okay, what is this all about? Like, really? You're going to just listen to me talk for 10 minutes? <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to do that. And I think almost people sometimes surprise themselves by where they went, whether they were, you know, sometimes these were very personal things that came up around um, services for people with mental illness, um, community support, safety, security. Um, it, it just, it surprised me that the issues were kind of enduring issues. They were not of the moment issues, they were systemic. People wanted to talk about systemic issues in their communities. And 
even we were on the road during the Harvey Weinstein news mm-hmm. breaking where, you know, here in our New York offices, it was Harvey Weinstein all the time, the beginning yeah. of Me Too, and it didn't come up at all. You know, even even that national news didn't then sort of get into people's minds in a way that we had people coming down to share, share those stories with us. They really were like, this thing in my world isn't mm-hmm. working. So to me, that was... It was what was left out was more interesting um, and and surprising, I would say. You know, even play even when we were in, um, you know, red states or whatever, where we were sort of ready for people to come and say, "Huff Post, why are you here?" Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. we don't, we're not your kind. Right. You know, Odessa, Texas, yeah. whatever, just didn't happen. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. Yeah, it, when I was reading through some of the research and, and watching some of the videos, I guess one of the things, and this touches on what you were talking about there. The elections last year in 2017 with Virginia mostly, but other states where it was there was a lot of milestones for people who are thinking a lot about you know diversity in America and 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 have progressive values and all that. But but really like those elections and those debates ended up being about local mm-hmm. issues, right? Even the most the the areas that got the most attention in those elections were still about local issues. So it's interesting because we in D.C. and New York and other cities probably think that that's what people actually think or care about a lot. But was that surprising or, or was that just something that, like, did you expect to, do you expect that dynamic? I expected it, but it was more emotional. The whole tour was so much more emotional than I think any mm. of us were ready for um, because when people... Usually, if they're very exercised about a local issue, it's because they have a personal reason to be mm-hmm. so. And hearing those stories, um, you know, it was, I always describe it, it was like a privilege to mm-hmm. hear them that way. I mean, this is why our goal with, with the research, now that we've worked with you guys to get it all done, is to present it in a really compelling way leading into the midterms this mm-hmm. year. Because like I said, these were not of the moment. Mm-hmm. These were not things that have been fixed. Mm-hmm. People didn't bring up issues that have been fixed in the last six months. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we, you know, we're starting to get into primary season, we'll be looking towards November. Um, this is the stuff people should know about. Yeah. And I, I think also, you know, as we um, we're in the process of starting to build out um, a, a presentation that will also allow people to see the connections that are made between different people in different parts of the country. So you should be able to search um, by some different topics and regions and things like that to see like, okay, there are people in in um, in Illinois talking about the same thing that somebody in Albuquerque is talking mm-hmm. about. And like, how do we start to show that we have a lot in common mm-hmm. when it comes to our local issues and the things that are closest to our hearts? That's awesome. And I was going to ask sort of what comes next, but you sort of, you sort of answered that already. Um, one thing, and I, I've said this in several meetings today already, is that like the goal of communications for us is to be word of mouth. And that, again, reading through some of the transcripts and watching the videos, that was something that really stuck out to me was how much, how reinforcing that lesson is. And, you know, when you hear people talk about the issues or their lives, and then you hear politicians talk about them. <laughs> it's just totally different, mm-hmm. but, you know, jargon and just not being able to, like, talk like normal people. Um, did Was that notable for you all, like, to see the way that people talked about things was just using very plain language in ways that, you know, got their point across? I think that when people came down to see us, 
And it was a very, like, welcoming, comfortable environment. I mean, we were, it was, though we were all journalists out there, you know, we were there as representatives of the HuffPost brand, Mm -hmm. and it it required a lot of stamina to, like, Mm -hmm. be outgoing. And, but as I um, had expected and prepped my team for, you know, not to sound, like, too hokey about it, but I was like, if you open yourself up to it, it's going to be a lot easier. Like, just... Just don't feel shy, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you're there at, and receptive, people will just like pour pour out. And it started before people even got in the interview mm-hmm. chair. So I think we had a sort of warm up exercise for people yes, yeah. that, um, you know, we were just there talking. And if somebody was alone, I would find somebody on my team and say, "Can you go talk to the guy in the red shirt? Get them comfortable yeah. with just like who we were, mm-hmm. why we were there." make it really clear that there was not a bait and switch. Mm -hmm. It was like really authentic and genuine. And I think because of that, um, people just felt at ease really quickly to, and sort of ready to just speak their minds and, and share. One thing we did that wasn't captured in the research we did with you guys, it was a closed door session with um, the United Steelworkers in Pittsburgh. And that was a, it was fascinating. We had 12 members of the union there talking about um, it was really we were trying to talk about the union and what was going on in Pittsburgh and different things. And it was a much more formal setting that took a while for people to like get comfortable because mm-hmm. we didn't have that prep work. It was a very interesting contrast, though once again, like you get it was also getting people to talk to one another, mm-hmm. which happened outside the bus environment and happened in, in our events and different things where one person starts sharing and then somebody else goes and it became that kind of contagious mm-hmm. activity where I I just think, you know, some of it was observing those around you mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. seeing like, okay, it's okay for me to do this. These people are doing it. I'm going to talk to this guy. He's yep. cool. Um, and, you know, then people started bringing their friends down mm-hmm. and things like that. So I, you know, I think it could have, if we had been awkward, the people we interviewed would have been yeah. awkward, but right. <laughs> we, but we did a lot of work, you know, and it's, it journalists can be awkward, even though our job is talking to people, it required a bit more of like a personal touch to mm-hmm. make this work the way it did. Nice. Yeah. Well, I love the results. And like I said, we'll, we'll link to it and hope people check it out. Um, the last thing we always ask is, you know, for communicators who are working on these issues that you were talking to people about, um, probably people listen to, that work on almost all of them. What's sort of a, piece of advice you would have for them or a takeaway that you would point them to after doing all this important work? I mean, for us, I will say it was coming off the road was like so depressing because you just go back to the office and start (laughs) doing what you do all day. And the value of just actually going out and connecting with people and listening to them, um, I really, I feel like it's like a corporate exercise mm. we all should have to do. Mm-hmm. Like no mm-hmm. matter what industry you work in, it's like challenge yourself to, um, you know, put aside your like city wall that you have to keep up because you're on the subway and people are bumping you and, mm-hmm. you know, and and like take that minute to if you're, if you're in a place and you can um, just to talk to somebody and ask them, mm-hmm. um, 
what you know what what they're thinking about <laughs> at the, you know not to make it weird and creepy right, 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 right. but i i even said this at our closing event in new orleans um we had a reception afterwards and i was just sort of like okay like i encourage everybody here to just find somebody tonight you don't know and ask them one question about themselves and they will and you know and keep what we practiced was keeping the conversation going but focused on that other person mm -hmm. and that's a skill um it's a skill like and you have to keep it sharp mm -hmm. and that's that's um i guess that's what i would say it's like forcing yourself to do it a couple times and have a conversation where you don't you know even at work with a coworker say how was your weekend like take three seconds and actually listen to their answer and ask a follow-up question uh -huh. it may lead you someplace you didn't know you would go with that person and establish a connection with them that you didn't know you had and that's that's the stuff that counteracts all the bad things on social media mm -hmm. and the fake news and like <laughs> keeps us all going yeah um so i guess that's that's what i would say and i hope you know, I'm hoping when the weather gets warm here, we can even do some small things around the city where we go out and the reporters get a chance to go out and 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 keep these skills sharp mm -hmm. because they're it's easy to lose them when you don't use them. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you for taking the time. This has been thank you. this has been fun. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in to Achieve Great Things. Reach out to us on Twitter at Hadawaycom, on Facebook at Facebook.com/HadawayCommunications. Or email us at podcast at hadaway.com. We appreciate your support, and please keep the feedback and comments coming. Until next time, thanks again. <laughs>